Welcome to Not Just a Sports Report. Welcome to Not Just A Sports Report Combat. Uh, fun fact, that's actually me singing in that intro song. <laughs> nah, it's not. Uh, but Not Just A Sports Report Combat, this is actually the first ever episode. I was going to call it Combat Corner. Uh, I saw someone has that name, so yeah, whatever. Not Just A Sports Report Combat. Uh, what is this? It's UFC, but it's MMA in general as well. Uh, over the last couple of years, I started toward the end of 2021. Uh, over the last couple of years, I've tried to stick to two podcasts a week. The weekly would be like a preview and predictions for a fight night, like whatever card was coming up that weekend. Uh, and then the weekend one would be watching the card. Uh, but I've just restructured. It's a new year. Uh, I'm looking at a more listener-friendly format. And instead of just exclusively doing picks and things like that, uh, we're going to go much broader. So that is not just a sports report combat. Part of this new structure uh, is to have a pretty short intro. So I'll give you the gist of what I'm going to talk about today. Uh, and essentially going forward, there'll be two podcasts a week. Still a heavy focus uh, on the fight weeks and the cards upcoming. Uh, but we'll also talk fight announcements and all sorts of things. Capiche? So I'll just give you a very quick gist of what I'm going to talk about today. I have four things on my agenda and then you can decide. Do I want to listen to the shit <laughs> or, you know, do something else? Everyone's busy in this day and age. It's hard to find time, but thank you for finding time in your day. We're going to talk Conor McGregor fight news. Uh, now, one of the things I'm not going to be talking about heaps is like Twitter interactions and things like that. Uh, so with Conor McGregor, I wasn't really going to focus on him till there was something that was somewhat concrete as far as a fight. We now have that. So in the first episode of Not Just a Sports Report Combat, first thing we'll be talking about uh, is the Conor McGregor matchup, potentially at 185 pounds. Muhahaha. Mwahaha, evil laugh. Fuck, I love Conor McGregor. I would love to party with him. I would love to party with him. I wouldn't like to fight him. Uh, so Conor McGregor, that is on the agenda, but not just to focus on Conor, because I'm a huge fan uh, of his opponent. And we'll talk about the date. Uh, I know there's a certain card that it's slated to be, but today I'm going no notes. No notes. So, yeah. Just speaking from the fucking heart, I guess. Uh, but with no notes, that means I just have to say what I know. Uh, after we've talked about the McGregor news, then I'm just going to briefly go through the card for the first Apex card of the year. Kind of meh. Like, the card's good, but Apex is kind of meh at this point. Uh, and I have a bit of a theory on the Apex, but I'll talk about that when we get there. Uh, but I'll just go through the card. We're going to save the preview and my picks for once it's fight week, which unfortunately, no fights this weekend in the UFC. 
uh, but we'll save that but go through the card so that you can know uh, if you didn't already who's fighting first card of 2024 after that uh, i'm going to talk about the first two championship fights of 2024 that'll be the card following this apex one from canada headlined by sean strickland drikas duplessis uh, so i'll talk briefly about that middleweight title fight uh, and of course raquel pennington up against Myra Bueno Silva, who will be taking that women's bantamweight championship home with them. Uh, that is an interesting stylistic matchup. I know uh, it def definitely doesn't have that headline feel, uh, but I think as far as a fight, it's going to be a banger. Uh, so I'll talk about the two championship fights. And then finally, uh, once a month, I'm going to do a state of the division, which is essentially just look at what the state of one particular division in the UFC is. Today we're going to go heavyweight. Uh, again, that's not going to be too long. Essentially, I'll just touch on Francis Ngannou. I feel like I have to. Never lost the belt. Uh, John Jones, still the champion but not active. Tom Aspinall. Uh, and then I'm just going to look through the rankings. The top 15. And we'll have a look at the state of the division coming into this year. Uh, and those are the four things. The intro has already gone too long. Let's get amongst it, not just a sports report, combat. Okay, let's get into the Conor McGregor fight news. I simply cannot do it the full justice, so I'm just going to play it via Conor McGregor's Instagram. I am sure he doesn't mind. I'm not making any fucking money off this. Uh, so, and it's his fight news. I'm promoting it, so... Conor McGregor, I'm going to let him, via his Instagram, uh, let you know about his next fight. Ladies and gentlemen, a happy new year to you all. I'd like to announce the return date for myself, the notorious Conor McGregor. The greatest Red wine in hand. Time. will take place in Las Vegas for International Fight Week on June the 29th. Come a little closer. And the opponent, Michael Chandler. And the weight, Mr. Chandler, 185 pounds. <laughs> Fuck. There you go. He looks immediately after he finished talking. He has this look on his face like he is just taking the piss. He is having a huge laugh. So... Yeah, there it is, Michael Chandler, but at 185 pounds, Michael Chandler's not going to give a shit. Michael Chandler has waited for this fight. There were mind games that he wasn't going to get it, even after the Ultimate Fighter season where they coached against each other. Honestly, like I know there are some exciting matchups out there for Connor, uh, but Connor isn't exactly on a run of hot form. Is he the greatest mixed martial artist of all time? Like, not in terms of skill set, but you know, you know, we know, we all know what I'm talking about here. Uh, he's the greatest of all time. He's reached the most masses. I'm a fan of both guys. And that's not to say, like, I'm also a huge fan of Khabib Nurmagomedov and Islam Makashev. I'm not one of those guys who's, you know, if I'm like a huge Connor fan, I'm going to be in Chandler's fucking comments talking shit, like that stuff is pretty lame. But I think at this point, I'm actually a, a bigger Michael Chandler fan. 
I actually listened to some of his podcasts. He does some good, good shit. He just has some nuggets of wisdom. And you don't have to take it all on board, but yeah. Hearing that side of Michael Chandler and being an avid fan of his, fuck this fight. Like, it was one to make. Chandler has done nothing since arriving the UFC but put on bangers. Like, put on absolute bangers. Think about that Justin Gaethje fight. Uh, And I know, you know, people want to go back to like, oh yeah, but he lost in a lot of those. Michael Chandler came in, three-time Bellator lightweight champion, and just immediately took on the killers of the division. First up, Dan Hooker, coming off that Poirier matchup. Like, that was not an easy matchup. That was not a showcase matchup where Chandler just had a guy that he could floor. And he floored Dan Hooker. Uh, In that Charles Oliveira fight, yes, he lost, but fuck. Anyone that is not Islam Makashev in recent memory has been put away by Charles Oliveira. Uh, So it's a very exciting matchup. 185 pounds. One of the big talking points. Obviously, Connor starting his career as a featherweight, uh, going on that insane run, uh, really bringing Irish MMA to the forefront uh, of the world. The Jose Aldo knockout definitely comes to mind. Uh, Obviously, Connor, just a legend, legendary run. Legendary doesn't even do the run. Uh, He had justice, but from featherweight, one win during his time in the lightweight division, uh, that over Eddie Alvarez for the belt. Of course, the loss against Khabib Nurmagomedov and everything that happened after that. Just Connor always brings something different, doesn't he? Uh, and then the move up to welterweight, he got the finish over Donald Cerrone. Uh, Cerrone. Fucking hell, blazed. Um, and then Dustin Poirier. Obviously, the two matchups there. And I thought, what worked best for Poirier in the second and third meetings? Uh, and what I was gathering from what Poirier was saying in the presses, pre and post, was basically he was able to shut out the noise, which I think when he first came up against Connor, the noise was something else because the Khabib Nurmagomedov uh, matchup hadn't happened yet, and we hadn't seen Connor as vulnerable. But the noise in the first, like the first meeting, was just insane. That was Connor in his epic rise second and third he shuts out the noise and i think if anyone has a strong enough mindset to really shut out all the mind games from connor all the chat all the noise uh, and wherever connor wants to take it chandler is gonna go there he seems more than willing to go there and he is gonna get a very sweet payday to go there that's the main uh, obviously motivation but at the same time Chandler arrived in the UFC as soon as he beat Hooker. He was calling out the biggest names. From memory, McGregor was one of them. Uh, so he gets this matchup. And fuck, it's going to be good. It, it, both of these guys always deliver. So I was a bit skeptical and almost upset when it seemed like they were going to veer away from the Chandler matchup. And with Connor. You just don't know, like, is this even a concrete fight announcement? But it seems like June, International Fight Week, 185 pounds. I think that could be the big mind game. And it's got everyone already guessing. 
Like, is Connor for real there? Connor fucking jacked. He looks huge, so I don't think there's any question of Connor at middleweight. Uh, Chandler cuts a lot to get down to lightweight. I think Chandler, he would have been thinking in the back of his mind, maybe 170, fighting at welterweight. Uh, but Chandler, I think as well, was prepared for 185. And he said he's good to go. He thinks he will thrive in that division or in that weight class for one particular night. Because I think it would be very interesting if Connor decided to stay at middleweight. Uh, the last podcast I did for Mixed Martial Arts was the end of year uh, performance highlights. That was where followers and listeners voted for the best uh, of the year. And the best division, which was also my pick, uh, but the people as well, could have been you. Uh, a lot of people voted. A middleweight voted as the best division. I personally agree right now. I think there is a lot of depth. Can you imagine if either Chandler or McGregor fought a couple of times at 185 and fought a genuine middleweight? Like, that interests me because Connor is pretty big right now. Uh, middleweight is popping off. Like, imagine Connor versus Drikus Duplessis or Connor fucking versus Izzy. Holy dooly. But that is what, like, yeah, I just have question marks around because I don't think off a win, like, you know, off a win, do either of these guys fight for the middleweight belt? Do you go there? Um, so the weight class is interesting, but it's not till June. So given, like I said, I'm going to be doing two combat podcasts a week, uh, there'll be plenty of times as news starts to drip feed and it becomes a bit more concrete uh, and we know what weight class, uh, I'll continue to bring it up. But I just thought we'll go through that briefly. Conor McGregor, Michael Chandler, International Fight Week in June. Uh, you'd have to say it'll be the main event. At 185 pounds, moo ha ha ha, more ha ha ha, with the red wine as well. I loved that Connor had the red wine in hand. Okay, uh, let's get to the Apex card first of the year, headlined uh, with a fight that needs to be settled. We need a result uh, between light heavyweight contenders Magomed Ankalaev and Johnny Walker. Uh, I've done all my tape for this, given... Obviously, there's been a bit of time off for the UFC, so uh, when the time comes, I think fight week is next week, uh, I'll drop my picks. I'll drop my picks. But yeah, we're going to focus on a lot of other things rather than just my picks in these podcasts. I think that is more listener-friendly. So I've got the card in front of me. Uh, Norma Dumont, her opponent, is now TBA. Her opponent, who I now can't remember, pulled out. Sometimes it's like I watch like an hour, two hours worth of tape. But then it's like when they pull out, I'm like, fuck. I can't even remember who Norma Dumont was supposed to be facing. Uh, let's start from the bottom of the card. Uh, Joshua Van comes in on short notice up against Felipe Bunis. Uh, Felipe Bunis, when I watched tape, that was the first I had seen of him. He was actually supposed to fight Dennis Bondar who's had a pretty torrid run. Joshua Van is a guy I'm a massive fan of. Flyweight division, uh, his striking output rivals anyone in the division. I don't have the numbers in front of me, but I'm pretty sure he's 
right up there already for significant strikes. So Joshua Van, uh, he's a guy, obviously through doing the Picks podcasts, I go back, watch a lot of tape, do a lot of research. Some guys have become a bigger fan of than others. Uh, Joshua Van, I am a fan, Joshua Van. Uh, flyweight as well, exciting. I think they'll start the year with a bang. Then we move on to what might be the highlight of this card. Uh, quickly as well, I said at the start, I kind of have a theory around the apex, uh, at least in the lower end. Top end of the card's a bit different, but I think right now the pay-per-view cards are where they're putting their real big guns. Uh, then you've got fight nights with crowds. And they seem to put just that touch stronger card together for those fight nights with crowds. With the Apex, there are a few guys, not all of them, and girls, because there are some studs on this card, uh, even lower down, like Marcus McGee. Um, but yeah, my Apex theory is it's a bit of a proving ground now. You gotta kind of work your way out of the Apex in certain instances. Not in every fight here, but you know, Felipe Bunes, untested, so doesn't get to come straight into a big card. Uh, Joshua Van takes this one on short notice, looking to start the year fast. Next one is a real highlight for me. Australia's big train, Tom Nolan, who had an emphatic finish over his uh, opponent on Contender Series. I can't even remember his opponent's name. He's fighting Nicholas Mota, who did have one win where he knocked someone out. It was Cameron someone. Van Camp, I think. So not massive, but like, fuck, I, I wouldn't have knocked Cameron Van Camp out. Van Camp would knock me out. Nicholas Motta would knock me out. Tom Nolan might not, because I'm a big fan. Uh, Australia, fucking oath. Uh, and look, Tom Nolan, what I love about him is his opponent on Contender Series was in his DMs, in Nolan's DMs, like flexing, fucking tensing in the mirror, doing the throat slash, like, I'm going to fuck you up. Personally, like, in Tom Nolan's DMs. And Tom Nolan's like, I'm going to fuck this guy up. And he did. If you haven't seen that Contender Series fight, go back and watch it. He fucked the dude up. Uh, and I'm, I'm on the train, the big train. I'm fucking on board. Choo-choo. Uh, Nicholas Motta, I think, yeah, when I say Apex testing ground, Nicholas Motta... Uh, as far as the tiers, I guess the levels at the moment, pay-per-view level, even early prelims, prelims, uh, up through main card, uh, those fight nights, spotlight crowds, Apex is the tier where Nicholas Motta finds himself. So, yeah, big moment. If he beats Tom Nolan, though, shit, it's on. Um, quick little uh, preview, I guess, of my picks, though. I think Tom Nolan is a really good chance to knock him out. A really good chance. But we'll save the picks for next week. Uh, Weston Wilson. This is a rogue matchup. This is very much again. And when I say this, it is with respect. It is with nothing but respect. But it's just something I've been thinking about uh, as far as the Apex. Because when I saw first card of the year at the Apex, I was just kind of like, really? Really? Like, you've just had a break. You could have a crowd anywhere in the world. Fucking Hamburg, Germany, Korea, anywhere. I don't, I don't give a shit. Have a crowd there. Even if it was at that place in Las Vegas last year, 
where it was pretty small. It was kind of like the Apex, but they had a crowd there. Uh, I would like that. But Weston Wilson, uh, he got finished. Was it by Terence McKinney? I can't remember now. I've got Wikipedia with the card here. And Weston Wilson, he's one of those guys that doesn't have a wiki page. So he wins. He might just get a wiki page and he might just get out of the Apex. Uh, Gene Silver takes the fight on short notice. He uh, was on Contender Series, won by decision. This is a fight, like when it came to my pick, watching the tape, doing my research. Uh, as I sit here right now, I am no closer to working out what is going to happen between Weston Wilson and Gene Silver. We'll get there for next week, but yeah, it's an opportunity too, but you, do you kind of catch my drift when I say like, there's a bit of an Apex vibe going on here? And all these guys would fuck me up. And that's not the point though. It's just, it's the first card of the year. Come on, it gets, there's some good shit, Tom Nolan. And like, hey, we'll see how the fights go. I'm never willing to write off the guys on the prelims. Uh, but did you know? Like, was that something you already knew? Featherweight division, Weston Wilson, Jane Silver. Then we've got back-to-back bantamweight fights, Farid Basharat who's a bit of a prospect, up against Taylor Lapalus, who is no easy assignment. Uh, these guys have fought in front of crowds. Taylor Lapalus, uh, did he fight in UFC Paris? I'm pretty sure he beat uh, like some prospect. Let me have a look. Yeah, he beat that Irish guy, Callan Lauren, by decision. Uh, now, Taylor Lapalus, I'm pretty sure he's the underdog. I haven't looked at the odds, but fuck. He could be good value. I think this will be a good fight. Uh, but they find themselves in the apex. Some of these ones are just timing of schedule, where it's like, yeah, we'll put you on. They want to fight at the start of the year. Uh, but yeah, I think they want to work their way up. Winner, no more apex. I think whoever wins that, give them at least a fight night crowd. Uh, next up, Marcus McGee. I'm a huge fan, huge fan. Uh, he has done some dope shit already in, you'd say, his rookie season with the UFC, but this guy is no rookie. A bantamweight uh, who trains at MMA Lab. Obviously, Shauna O'Malley, one guy that comes to mind. But Mario Bautista, also on this card. Marcus McGee has a fan in me. Like Joshua Van and Tom Nolan, uh, Marcus McGee is one of the guys I'm going to tune in to watch this card for. Uh, Gaston Bolanos had a bit of a stint in Bellator. That, his main experience, picked up, I'm pretty sure, a decision win in his debut. Again, don't have it in front of me, uh, and he doesn't have a Wikipedia page. But Marcus McGee, yeah, he's dope. He's one, if you, I don't want to say casual, because there's like, you know, there's such like a fucking stigma around that, but literally just a casual fan who tunes in, you're not fucking really dialed into guys who aren't ranked, and fighting like once every fucking three to six months uh, but just a casual fan i don't mean that in a derogatory way if you're a casual fan uh, who doesn't watch a ton of ufc or you'd like to but you don't keep up uh, with a lot of the guys marcus mcgee he's one of the guys keep an eye out for that guy uh, next up matthew semmelsberger semi the jedi he takes a fight on short notice replaces uh, Basil Hafez, who I was actually quite excited to see. 
after his performance up against Jack Della Maddalena, but we get Matthew Semmelsberger, a guy who's put on some huge showings, a couple of knockouts under 20 seconds on his resume in the UFC, which, you know, is a different beast. Matthew Semmelsberger uh, coming off a devastating knockout loss against Uros Medic. Uh, Semmelsberger takes this one, and with kind of the way he's gone, like he was on a hot streak, now not so much. Again, this just comes back to my Apex theory. Even though he took it on short notice, this is another Apex matchup where I think winner starts moving in the right direction, but yeah, uh, Matthew Samuelsberger, Preston, Pressure Parsons. I think that could be a fun fight. Like, Samuelsberger has serious knockout power. Preston, well, his nick uh, nickname suggests that he has a lot of pressure, and that's exactly what he brings with the striking. Uh, he mainly likes to mix it up with the grappling. We'll see how it goes. Uh, but, you know, fights like Samuelsberger Parsons, fights like Weston Wilson, Gene Silver, I think I would be more invested with a crowd, you know? Because with a crowd, any fight can fucking kill it. Whereas the Apex, I don't know, in 2024? In 2020 for COVID, it was awesome, but we're in 2024 now. I know that UFC need to make a purpose for the Apex, and it is a great spot. I don't even mind having fight night cards there, but the first one of the year, Come on, come on. Uh, then we move up. I honestly, at this point, don't really know where the prelims end and the main card begins. I'm gonna say the main card begins here. Another guy who I'm a fan of, Waldo Cortez Acosta, salsa boy in the heavyweight division, up against Andre Arlovsky, a former UFC heavyweight champion. Uh, he is very much the litmus test for a lot of guys in heavyweight division to prove that they're worthy of, you know, taking that next step. For instance, when Rogerio de Lima was able to beat Arlovsky, uh, which Arlovsky went on a run recently. He got finished by Tom Aspinall, which now, I mean, that's not such a big deal. And then when he went on a run where he was beating the Chase Sermons, uh, Jake Collier's, Jared Vanderas of the world, and... Yeah, that's, I kind of see a bit of a level where there's the Vanderas, and again, this is respectfully, Vanderas, Colliers, Shermans, a lot of different guys, and then it starts moving up. And at the absolute top end, you have your John Jones, Stipe Miocic, uh, Tom Aspinall's, things like that. Uh, but the test now for Salsa Boy, who's lost to Rogerio de Lima, much like Arlovsky has, has picked up some wins with the leg kicks. We've seen the constant theme, the leg kicks. I have really troubled him. So Arlovsky, I'm interested to see whether, um, yeah, how much longer Arlovsky fights. He's in his 40s, he's done everything there is to do. They keep putting him in the apex, which maybe he chooses to do that, just to fight like somewhat locally. I actually don't know how close Florida is, an American top team, to Vegas, to be honest. Sorry about it. Um, but, yeah, maybe Arlovsky chooses to do that, but I think when it comes time and he wants 
to take the gloves off? Let him do it in front of a crowd. Come on. Uh, but Andre Olovsky, Waldo Cortez Acosta, the way I see this one, again, the apex test, not for Arlovsky, because he's, he's already passed the test. He's just fighting. He's getting a paycheck, and not in that way where he's just coming in, collecting a paycheck. Like, he is a fighter. He always has been. He's fought for the longest time. When I was a kid, and I first started getting into the UFC, and Arlovsky was at the peak of his powers, like, holy shit. People who haven't seen Prime Arlovsky just don't appreciate how much of a beast this guy was. And he totally evolved his game, uh, very evasive now, and not going into those wars where he's just getting chinned. And he is a tough matchup for a lot of these heavyweights trying to prove that they can go to that next level. Waldo Cortez Acosta, uh, that is the test. It is Waldo who has the assignment of getting out of the apex and moving on to some big fights. Uh, after that, speaking of some big fights, middleweight division, we have Bruno Ferreira, who holy dooly, didn't he bring some good shit in 2023, both with a win and a loss. Uh, Bruno Ferreira debuts in Brazil uh, after winning on Contender Series. Who does he fight in Brazil? Fellow Brazilian Gregory Rodriguez. Can you imagine you're a middleweight you're like, all right, who's my UFC debut fight? And they come at you with Gregory Rodriguez? As far as, like, not getting a top 15 guy straight away, I think that is probably the hardest possible matchup you could get at middleweight. Bruno Ferreira floored him. First round knockout. It was unbelievable. All of a sudden, uh, this surge that Rodriguez was on, all the hype, Bruno Ferreira had it. But then he would get knocked out by Nurselton. Oh, what's his last name? Don't have it in front of me. I must apologize. But his first name is Nurselton, and he's fucking awesome. My memories, I'm just a bit blazed. I'm sorry. Uh, but Bruno is fighting Phil Hawes, who used to be nicknamed Megatron, but he changed his nickname to Phil No Hype Hawes, which I like, because there's a lot of guys getting heaps of hype. And Phil Hawes had his stage when he was Megatron, but now he's like, yeah, now the hype. You know, MMA is a very fickle world. Fans fucking, you know, they get on and off the train very quickly. So Phil Hawes, he's changed his name to No Hype Hawes. Uh, his last fight, he got finished in the first round by Ikram Aleskarov. Uh, we've seen how good Ikram Aleskarov was. And I thought Phil Hawes, to do that to Phil Hawes, no easy feat. I'm interested to see what Phil has learned from that. What I will tell you in this middleweight encounter, I think there's going to be a knockout. I actually haven't decided which way I'm going to go, but I think there's going to be a knockout. You know what I also think, though? Sorry to keep harping on about it, but I think there would be even more chance of a big knockout if they were fighting in front of a big crowd. Sorry about it. Then a bantamweight scrap. Ranked bantamweights, you have Mario Batista, who is on quite the win streak. Uh, now, he has very much earned this step up now uh, to start fighting towards, you know, a significant spot in the rankings. Uh, you have Ricky Simone, who was on a quite the run himself. That was stopped 
in a five-round main event uh, up against Song Yudong, where he was finished in the fifth. Ricky Simone, though, he is a very quality fighter. We've also seen Song Yudong. I mean, every time he fights, he just improves, gets better, and he is now a world-class fighter. So Ricky Simone, he is still very much relevant in the bantamweight division. But Mario Bautista, he is a star on the rise who has now earned this chance to come in and take Simone's position. So this is a fun bantamweight fight. I actually think they have a lot of similarities as far as how they fight, but again, a lot of differences. So stylistically, uh, it could be a challenge for one of them to get the finish. But we'll talk about that next week. Ricky Simone, Mario Bautista. Then lightweight division. Um, oh, fuck. You know what else I was going to talk about? And I totally forgot to mention it. UFC 300. Just what we have so far. And the rumored, one of the rumored title fights. So we'll get to that in a sec. But that just fucking came to my mind. Uh, you know why? Jim Miller fought on UFC 100. Fought on the UFC 200 card. If all goes well, if he gets through this fight, win, loss, draw, as long as he is fit and healthy, he will be fighting on UFC 300. Jim Miller, Gabriel Benitez. Benitez, he was in a bit of a tough spot for a bit there. Then he knocked out Charlie Ontiveros, uh, which a lot of people have. A lot of people have. I might be one of the only guys that couldn't knock him out. I'm being such a fucking hater of myself. But, you know, I'm just... Sometimes when I say something that's not super respectful, I just try to check myself. Like, even the guys who lose could fuck fuck us all up. So let's just remember that. Gabriel Benitez, Jim Miller will be a good one. Jim Miller, interested to see who his opponent would be at 300. Do you go a Clay Guida? I don't know. Uh, then a flyweight fight. The next two fights are fights... That have already happened. Um, but yeah, weird results. Mateus Nicolau, Manel Cape are fighting again in the Apex. Uh, this is an interesting one because Cape put on Fight of the Night in his last fight in front of a crowd in Sydney. Uh, but Nicolau got finished in his last fight. Cape, when these two last met in the first round, and it was at the Apex, by the way, in the first round, he was very conservative. It seemed like he, if he went too hard, he was just going to gas out. So he didn't really offer a lot uh, in terms of pace and pressure. So when I went and watched this fight back, I was like, oh yeah, I can see, despite both these guys being genuine threats in the flyweight division, like I can see why this fight has been given the co-main event position at the apex. Because the first fight was decent, but... It didn't blow my mind. Uh, but the interesting thing, Nicolau won by decision. I went back and watched it, and I'm no judge. I mean, I'm never one to, you know, say like, oh, that was a fucking robbery. Unless it's sometimes, there have been a couple genuine robberies. Uh, but I'm, I usually try not to focus on that. But I just went back and watched because to make my own pick, I was like, okay, well, who do I think won the fight? And I think Manel Cape might have edged it, but in the history books, Nicolau won it. So they meet again. Winner in 2024. They are back on toward a title surge. Uh, loser? Who knows? 
Then we have the main event, Magomed Ankalaev, Johnny Walker. Now they obviously met, there was a an illegal disqualification knee, or was it, I can't even remember, no contest, or some shit, and there was the referee fuckery, being like, where are you? Johnny Walker's like, in the desert or something? I don't know, I didn't watch that fight live, unfortunately I was working, but I fell asleep maybe. I may have fell asleep because it was really early in the morning and I stayed up and then I fucking fell asleep. Um, but yeah, Johnny Walker, Magomed Ankalaev will cross that bridge when it comes to it. Uh, quickly, UFC 300 coming up around April. Uh, personally, I think in some form of another, whether it's light heavyweight, whether it's heavyweight, I think we might see Alex Pereira headline the card, but I have no concrete evidence to back that claim up. And the other title fight that seems to be in the works, uh, Leon Edwards, Bilal Muhammad. Uh, also, personally, I think they'll find a way. I don't know the exact schedule for the year uh, so far, but I think they might find a way to get three title fights on, and they'll probably get one of the three women's divisions. A uh, women's bantamweight, that title fight's coming up, so maybe women's flyweight. Maybe we see Shevchenko, Grasso 3, or Grasso Shevchenko 3 at UFC. 300. Uh, but Leon Bilal, it would be their second meeting. Of course, the eye poke in the first. I have the belief that yes, this is going to happen. I think they're going to go for this as the co-main event. Only because it's such a monumental card. Both guys very significant, but you would have say like the best bet is that it's going to go all five rounds. So, which isn't the worst for a main event. But if you get a guy like Alex Pereira in the mix, I think just going into those fights, it's a, it's a very different feeling where it's like, I don't know, on the most morbid end of the spectrum, and this isn't why I enjoy UFC, I enjoy it just genuinely as a sport. But with Pereira, it's like, this guy might fucking kill someone. This guy might kill someone. And it can happen in mixed martial arts, like any level. That's why it's so dangerous and why all these guys deserve to be respected. But with Pereira, it's just a different level, where it's like, fuck, what could he possibly do to his opponent? Like, it's scary. I remember uh, when he was facing Izzy, the first meeting in the UFC, when Izzy was the champ, and he ended up getting the finish. Being a huge fan of both guys, like, fuck. The feeling I had as that fight was taking place between rounds, it was just one where you can't leave your seat. It's definitely not one where you're going to go up for a toilet break, anything like that. So I think Alex Pereira makes a lot of sense for UFC 300 main event. Uh, but Leon Bilal, I know a lot of people have mixed feelings about this. I am all for it. I think if there is any justice in the world, it was time for Bilal to get the title shot. I thought he should have got it before Colby, uh, but obviously Dana White, Colby, they're very big on Colby Covington, and because Kamaru finally lost the belt, they were able to try once again to get Colby that title shot. Uh, but Bilal, he deserves the shot. Like, what, he, what he's done, I know, you know, a lot of people say, remember the decision, 
Bilal Muhammad has his strengths and he utilizes them. As a fan of the sport and as a fan of mixed martial arts, like obviously the guys like Alex Pereira excite us the most, or at least me personally. But I think it is such an art form what Bilal Muhammad does. Like it would be stupid with some of these guys he's faced, like Stephen Thompson or Vicente Luque, to just stand there and bang with them. He fully controlled these guys. Uh, now Gilbert Burns suffered an injury in their fight, but you know Bilal was down for that on short notice. He puts the pace on, he puts the pressure. He has been on an unbelievable winning streak. I know Shavkat is waiting in the wings, but Bilal had to get his shot. I am all for Bilal getting his shot. And I know some people think like, yeah, Bilal's not a superstar. Like, you know, he can't fit that main event billing. Let me bring something uh, to your attention that I thought about. Now, when the UFC go to Abu Dhabi, there's a bit of cashola to be made in those ventures. It's a nice partnership. It looks fucking fun too during fight weeks. I would love to go over. I know it's really hot, but those robes they wear, I'm sorry, again, I don't have any notes in front of me, so I don't have the terminology, but it, like they let Westerners and things like that. You see Sean O'Malley, you see a Brazilian like Charles Oliveira, they all get to wear, uh, I don't know what the exact dress is, but it's like a robe and you get the thing on your head. Sorry, I'm so sorry that I don't know the name of it, but it looks fucking fun. Like I actually want to go over to an Abu Dhabi fight night. I think it would be a really interesting cultural experience. But Bilal is huge in that region. Like this isn't just about the United States. This isn't just about Australia, New Zealand, Canada, Mexico. Uh, like now, more than ever, not just Abu Dhabi, uh, but Saudi Arabia starting to make a big footprint. My stomach starting to rumble. Fucking hell. I ate a lot of pretzels. I thought that would help. Uh, but Bilal, like that's Saudi money. They're Saudi princes, uh, Arab princes. They have a fuckload of money. They have a fuckload of money. Like, I would love to go over there and become mates with one of them. Not for their money, but, like, some of them just have fucking disposable income, and they, there is shit going on over there that just we don't know about, and it would blow our minds. And I fucking kind of want to get in on it. Unfortunately, I don't have disposable income. Uh, but Saudi Arabia... Uh, now, we've seen WWE venture there. They have made unbelievable cash. But the interesting thing with these Saudi princes and things, they like to make requests. They're like, we need Undertaker. We need Goldberg. They're fucking... They like, they like bringing, out, bringing out the big guns. So, yeah. The Saudi venture definitely going to happen. There's the merger uh, with TKO that is WWE, UFC. We're not going to see much crossover there. But already Vince McMahon, who has a lot of ties to that Saudi Arabian uh, crowd and the money they're making over there, he's hooked Dana White up. Now Francis Ngannou, we saw he boxed Tyson Fury during Riyadh season in Saudi. Uh, fuck, the guy's over there. Like you're seeing Cristiano Ronaldo, Conor McGregor, like it, it's popping off. It is popping off. Like Ronaldo, the money going on, the events, the level, um, the effort that they are putting in 
to genuinely put on these events, uh, which was then followed by Anthony Joshua, that card, uh, where Joseph Parker, my fucking guy, got the win over Deontay Wilder. Now UFC are getting in on this. Now why do I mention this? One, the money is significant. I don't have any numbers in front of me, but I think it's safe to say the money they can make, uh, these fighters, the promotion during these ventures, I think is going to be far greater than what has been going on and what we've come to know. Bilal Muhammad. Here is a guy who, like an Islam Markashev as well, uh, but when they go to Saudi, the UFC, if Bilal is the champion, like, I know in the UFC, we have seen times, one of my favorite, like, that just makes me laugh, was in the Apex once, and there was some dickhead in the Apex chanting, USA, USA, because Bilal's opponent was American, and Paul Felder on commentary is like, Bilal's from Chicago, you fuckhead, like, Bilal is American as well, but Bilal, not treated like an American, not treated like a hero at all, most people fucking either don't like him or hate him, but it would be very different in Saudi Arabia, where there is money to be made, so yeah, maybe he's not going to main event these huge pay-per-views in the United States, but he could be a significant part of a Saudi Arabian card. So I think there is a bit of food for thought in that. Can you imagine? Let's say, for argument's sake, he gets past Leon. You do Bilal Muhammad, Shavkat Rachmanov over in Saudi. I think that shit would be off its head. So let's not be such haters of this matchup. Because on the Bilal side, there is definitely a superstar to be made despite his fighting style, Leon Edwards. He has maintained that this is his time, this is his era, he is nowhere near finished, and I think that's true. He was head and shoulders better than Colby. Two wins over Kamaru Usman. I know Usman, like his knees, a huge issue, but still. Like, someone had to be the guy to take Kamaru down. A lot of guys tried, it was Leon who did it, and then backed it up with a win. Now, it seems like he wants to up his level of activity. Bilal matchup makes sense for sure. Um, and yeah, there you go. So that is not confirmed for UFC 300, but I think they'll put it on. I think just quietly that it won't main event. They'll look for Pereira or something else for the reasons that I mentioned. Uh, a couple of other things that make the timing of this at UFC 300 potentially very exciting. Have Shavkat in the crowd. Do you have Shavkat there, you know, when they do these title fights and then they show that guy where it's like, this guy's next? I think Shavkat's next, so put him in the fucking crowd straight away. Once it's done at UFC 300, we can have the result, the champion, either and still or and new. And then if the fans, if they're like, oh, that was good, then all of a sudden it's like, Shavkat's there, and he's like, I'm fucking next. And then it goes from good to fucking exceptional. So Shavkat, he needs to be there. Uh, Jack Della up against Gilbert Burns, UFC 299. So there are two 
welterweight matchups, the pay-per-view before this one, where I think Shavkat next in line after Bilal. These two matchups I'm about to mention for UFC 299, which I think might be in Miami. Jack Della Madalena, one of my personal favorites, up against Gilbert Dorino Burns, who off a win there, I don't think would be too far behind Shavkat for that next title shot. Jack Della with a win there. I mean, 2024, he is immediately in that top three kind of areas. Ian Gary, Jeff Neal. Uh, Ian Gary, what a 2023. What is going to happen in 2024? He was going to face Vicente Luque. He's now facing Jeff Neal. Uh, that a matchup that was previously scratched. Ian Gary has worn Jeff Neal's mugshot on his t-shirt. Jeff Neal. Like I mentioned about Pereira earlier, from that kind of morbid side where it's like, fuck, what could this guy do to his opponent? Jeff Neal has that about him. I know Ian Gary is undefeated and his skill set is out of this world, but with Ian Gary, it's like, yeah, he could just finish his opponent. With Jeff Neal, it's like, fuck, this guy, there's going to be some long-term damage because he's called Hands of Steel. Jeff, Hands of Steel, Neal. And that nickname has been put to the test and absolutely passed with flying colors. He gave Shavkat Rachmanov the most trouble out of anyone. Ian Gary, the shit talker, very happy to dish it out to a guy like Neil Magny, to a guy like Jeff Neal. Uh, not as much happy to take it. Not as much happy to take it. So, Ian Gary, Jeff Neal. What could Jeff Neal do to him? And if Ian Gary wins, no matter how you feel about him, fuck, at his age, he is moving right toward the title. So those two fights, the card before 300, you have a result between Burns, Della Maddalena. You also have a winner between Ian Gary, Jeff Neal. You go to UFC 300, boom. Leon, Bilal, Shavkat in the crowd, he's next. Potentially... The winners of those 299 fights, Jack Della Gilbert and Ian Gary, Ian Machado Gary, sorry, goodness gracious, Jeff Neal, maybe they match up the winner of those two. We shall see. There's also Michael Venom Page and Kevin Holland coming up. I don't know if that's on the same card, but fucking hell. Welterweight division is popping off. It kind of stalled. For periods there. I think Colby Covington, without even being the champion, managed to hold up the division because Kamaru was active, but we could have had Bilal have his title shot by now. So let's get it done. UFC 300, Leon Bilal. I might be in the minority, but really excited for that fight. Overall, though, like this gives the welterweight division time to really set itself up. Now, do the prospects, Ian Gary, Jack Della Maddalena, who are both on these tears, did they get the wins and all of a sudden become these real fresh faces amongst the title picture? Or Jeff Neal, a guy who most definitely has championship caliber uh, kind of skills and power, hands of steel for a reason. Does he now take that next step? I think that next step would be putting Ian Gary away by finish with those hands of steel. 
Jeff Neal. As far as his experience is now his time, Gilbert Burns. With his injury, maybe the forgotten man, but up until that matchup with Bilal, Gilbert Burns in title shot conversation once again. He took on Bilal, yes he got injured, but he lost. He lost, so that's put him back a bit. A win over Jack Della Maddalena. I still think, in terms of title shot, Shavkat's finish over Stephen Thompson, who's ranked higher, still has Shavkat next. But Gilbert Burns, Jack Della, like fucking hell. And the absolute top of the heap, the title fight, Leon Bilal. So there you go, welterweight, fucking popping off. Uh, three other fights that are confirmed. Yuri Pahaska coming off that loss in his return title fight against Alex Pereira. Alexander Rakic, who, like Prohaska, has been injured. We last saw him where he was injured in a main event against Jan Bohovic. And Alexander Rakic, who was he supposed to fight? Was he going to fight Jan again, potentially? And then I feel like Rakic was talking shit when he pulled out. It's like, bro, come on. Uh, but Yuri, just the guy that he is, he's like, I'm, I'm a step up. The doctors said I can't do it at the proposed date because I think Rakic was booked a little earlier. He's like, I'll fucking fight you at UFC 300. So Yuri Prohaska, Alexander Rakic, yes, please. Uh, I think that potentially even on a banger prelims, not even on main card, we'll see. Aljamain Sterling, at bantamweight, where he was the former champion? No. Officially moving on up to featherweight. Uh, it's been talked about for the longest time. Kelvin Cater, his first opponent. This a very interesting one, but I don't mind it as a way to introduce Eljo to the division. I don't think Eljo is going to lose a lot in terms of his strength uh, with the wrestling, but Kelvin Cater, he has power in the hands. He also has great striking uh, and efficiency. So he's a guy that can trouble Eljo moving up that weight class. Like, is he going to be able to handle the hands of Cater coming off that knockout against Sean O'Malley? Really interesting matchup, Kelvin Cater, Aljamain Sterling, in the featherweight division. And middleweight, fucking hell, Bo Nickel. There's a few guys that I called from a distance that where I was like, this guy will become champion. And it wasn't me that, you know, was breaking any news. I think a lot of people thought it. But I thought it with Yuri Prohaska when he first started his run. I thought it about Markashev. And I think myself and a lot of people are thinking it about Bo Nickel. I, I think he's very much the real deal. I, it's not that I've bought into the hype of what he's been able to do. And it's like, yeah, he's brought that knockout power to the fray. Like, I'll tell you, that knockout against Val Woodburn didn't surprise me that much because I'd gone back and watched this tape and his first fight I think it was his first fight he came out against a guy a regional guy and fucking just knocked him out straight away so he's got the hands at the wrestling that is absolutely the point of difference Bo Nickel he got on contender series 1-0 and so like he's they've got him up against Cody Brundage but I don't mind it they don't need to rush this. Let him gain that experience. Uh, Cody Brundage, 
A lot of people will see this as a showcase match for Nickel where he's just going to come out and steamroll him. He definitely could. Uh, but Brundage, in his last fight, took on this undefeated but also untested prospect, Zachary Reese, who was just getting these unbelievable finishes and very quickly. Brundage, just after Drakkar uh, Close did it, picks up Zachary Reese with a submission attempt um, and fucking just slams him and knocks him out. Cody Brundage, the underdog in that fight, I didn't have him winning. I don't think anyone has him winning this one, but on the merit of what he just did against Zachary Reese, I don't mind the matchup. Brundage, he's shown a willingness to strike. He is also known for his wrestling, uh, but obviously levels to it. And so it'll be put to the test. So that is a matchup I'm highly excited for. Bo Nickel, Cody Brundage. And that's UFC 300. I think two more things on the agenda. I'm going to quickly go through the first two title fights for this year. And then we're going to finish off with the state of the heavyweight division. Apex kicks us off for the year. Uh, but after that, on January 20th from Toronto, Canada, UFC 297, our first pay-per-view for the year. And if you cast your mind back to 2023, first pay-per-view of last year in Perth, Volkanovski Markashev, well, I think we're in for a big start to the year. Uh, I'll very quickly just say the fight card. I won't go through it like the Apex one. And then we'll talk about the first two title fights. Uh, but UFC 297, bit of a Canadian flavor. Canada's Malcolm Gordon in the flyweight division up against Jimmy Flick. Jasmine, Canadian Jazz Davicius up against Priscilla Cachoeira. Uh, I'll talk about it in a different podcast, but some of her antics... I was a fan, but then some of her antics, not a fan. Uh, well to wait, Johan Lanes, French-Canadian fella, up against Sam Patterson. He is English, Coupetit man. That was fucking shittest, shittest accent. Uh, Gillian Robertson, I'm pretty sure she's Canadian, all red. Submission wizard, or witch, Pollyanna Viana, uh, also a very fun fighter. That'll be a banger. Uh, Serhai City, I actually don't know a lot about this guy, Roman Taveras. There you go, cool. Charles Jourdain, French Canadian, up against Sean Woodson, a very tall, like really interesting frame for the division. I'm a fan of Sean Woodson, also a fan of Charles Jourdain. Chris Curtis up against Marc-Andre Barriolt, obviously French Canadian. Brad Katona, the ultimate fighter, winner times two. Up against Garrett Armfield, tough matchup for Brad Katona there. Uh, Arnold Allen up against Movsar Evloev. Fuck yeah. Neil Magny, Mike Malott. I am super keen for that one. Mike Malott, one of my favorite prospects right now. Guess what division? Welterweight. I just spoke heaps about some exciting prospects, matchups, contenders. At 170, Mike Malott. He comes out, does what he's been doing, gets a finish over Neil Magny. Mike Malott is in that mix. Now, maybe he's not as close as a Gilbert Burns. Maybe he's not as close as an Ian Gary. But he's in the mix. Uh, but the two title fights, Amanda Nunes, of her defense against Irene Aldana, calling it a day, retiring. Uh, so we have Rack Pennington, Myra Bueno Silva. I must say, 
are from their recent body of work. Huge fan of this matchup. I think it makes a lot of sense. Uh, I assume. I actually don't know what the Juliana Pena situation is. But I assume she's unavailable. She'll probably get the next title shot. Uh, but for Raquel Pennington, she went on a bit of a losing streak. Well, not much of one, but she lost to Amanda Nunes, then lost to Jermaine Durandamy around 2018. Uh, won a split decision against Irene Eldana. Lost to Holly Holm. Uh, and then after that, five straight wins. Leading up to this point for Raquel Pennington, she beat Marianne Renell, Pani Kianzad, as she submitted Macy Chason, beat Aspen Ladd, and a split decision last time out over Ketlin Vieira. Fucking hell. Sorry about my throat there. Seems to have fixed itself there, um, thankfully. But yeah, I thought in that fight Raquel Pennington won for sure, because I had my money on Ketlin. And watching that fight, I was like, ah, fuck. When it ended, I was like, ah, fuck. Hopefully the judges... Hopefully the judges do their thing, but they didn't. Uh, so Raquel Pennington, on merit, she has been around for a hot minute. Now she's in the form of her life. Not only does she has the, uh, have the experience, has the experience, um, but she just seems primed and ready now, especially, like, it's a new era. Nunes is gone. Uh, a lot of... There's still Misha Tate, there's still Holly Holm, but it's a new era. And at the forefront of that... Myra Bueno Silva. My throat, it's gone back to doing its thing. Uh, but Myra Bueno Silva, last time out and no contest, which was actually a huge performance of the night submission. Uh, it was overturned because she tested positive, I'm pretty sure it says Ritalinic acid. Is that Ritalin? Is that Ritalin? If it's Ritalin, I'm pretty sure it was something like that. Like she ended up getting her name cleared. So that's not a no contest. To me, that's her fourth straight win. She submitted Stephanie Eger, submitted Lena Landsberg, beat Wu Yanan, and she submitted Holly Holm. If that's Ritalin, like Ritalin is going to help you fucking, you know, do a speech or write a fucking essay. It's not going to, I don't think, make a huge, it's not performance enhancing for fighting. I haven't taken Ritalin much, but when I have, like, it didn't make me any better at fighting. Not that I was fighting people, but it did make me focus a lot. I was sharp as attack, but yeah, she cleared her name. I don't have it in front of me, but she's good. She's fighting for the fucking title, so. Yeah, there's a few cases, like, especially the Nick Diaz one. There are some suspensions where it's like, that's not performance enhancing. You cannot tell me marijuana is performance fucking enhancing. No. Uh, anyway, that's the first title fight of the year. Then we got the main event. This fight already got started in the crowd. Sean Strickland, Drakus Duplessis. Love this matchup. Sean Strickland, there's never been an issue or a problem of quote unquote ducking fucking or shit like that. He has taken on whoever UFC has given him. That's what we love about Sean Strickland. Drikas Duplessis, like kind of what I said about Bo Nickel and a lot of other guys, or like Yuri and Islam, Drikas has won since his debut that I was actually really keen on backing toward a title run. And it wasn't until he got up to Robert Whittaker, who I just love and wasn't willing to go against, that I took myself off the Drikas train. And we saw what happened there. Drakus did 
beyond what Izzy did even to Robert Whittaker. It was unbelievable. So Drikas, like, I like getting on certain, like, it was great. Like, he had hype and everyone knew he was good. But when you get on at the start of the run, you get some good odds. You get some fucking good odds. So Drikas, I think very much championship material. But Sean Strickland, his first defense, we're going to see a lot of fun stuff in the press conference. The lead up to this is going to be intense. And I think no matter who wins, this cannot be a boring fight. Like, Drikas is so explosive. Now, Sean Strickland, not known so much as a finisher, but his style, it shuts down everyone. Can it shut down Drikas Duplessis? Uh, some people have question marks around his gas tank. Uh, after he, he got his nose fixed and whatever the problem was there before the Whitaker fight, I have no questions Drikas can go five rounds. I think he hits harder than Strickland, but Strickland over 25 minutes. If Drikas can't put him away, fuck. Like this stylistically a super exciting matchup and like welterweight, middleweight is popping off right now as well. These two guys top of the heap, our first pay-per-view main event for the year from Toronto, Canada. Drikas Duplessis, the South African. Can he win the belt or will the American Sean Strickland hold on to that title? Trains at Extreme Couture under Eric Nixick. Like, he's world class. He's world class. We knew that before the Izzy fight, but the Izzy fight well and truly confirmed it. Drikas Duplessis brings a lot of exciting stuff to the table. So I'm on board. That's the main event. Let us now finish with the state of the heavyweight division. All right, finishing off with the state of the heavyweight division. All I have in front of me is the rankings, or are the rankings. I also kind of wonder with the rankings, like, is it Mick Maynard, Sean Shelby, those fellas, Dana White, they sit down and just, like, put everything together, like this guy won here, he moves up. Like, do they have the rankings in front of them? Or is there some kind of system that they can put into a computer that kind of works it out for them? I wonder. The rankings interest me and in how they determine that. My cat is scratching at the door. He's a heavyweight, so I'm going to let him in, and then we're going to let the heavyweight division in. Okay, my cat, uh, the reason he was scratching at the door is because there are two guys not in the rankings that he wanted to say, fucking keep an eye out for these guys, are the Taffa brothers, the Taffa gang. Justin Taffa, Junior Taffa. Justin Taffa, really, uh, as the one who has more experience, starting to make waves, starting to now have that experience and parlay that into consistently uh, great results. Junior Taffa only just arrived on the block, uh, lost a decision to Mo Usman, then the first round knockout, over Parker Porter. Uh, I look at the lower end of the rankings and I think the Taffa brothers could make some moves toward the rankings. Well, my cat did, sorry. Uh, now, the guy who is not here in the rankings, Francis Ngannou, he never lost the belt. If all things went the way I would like, I would have liked them, and this is just fantasy, 
but I would have liked them to just fucking pay him and not just bend over, but give Francis Ngannou what he wants. I would have loved John Jones, Francis Ngannou. Could have done Aspinall, Sergey. Obviously, Stipe's in there. But, like, imagine as well the potential of Aspinall in Ghana. But in Ghana, in his own right now, has kind of transcended what's going on here. He's making huge money boxing Tyson Fury. He's got the PFL deal, so he's still involved with MMA. And he never lost the heavyweight championship. So despite what Dana White says, now time has passed. So it's not as big a talking point, but it would be remiss of me not to mention Francis Ngannou. Like, I think it would have been a stronger division for him still being there. But John Jones, heavyweight champion, uh, suffered an injury. So we don't know when we're going to see John Jones next. I think even though Aspinall is the interim champion, I think they will go back to Stipe John Jones. Potentially. Alex Pereira, Tom Aspinall. And I don't mind that. Like, if there's no one... Like, if Israel Adesanya is another option, just isn't about it, doesn't want to do it, or just, you know, like, timing, schedule doesn't work out because he said he was going to take a break. If there's no one at light heavyweight screaming out for the title fight, Aspinall, Alex Pereira, I think... That's a muddy matchup. I think you put that in uh, main event, co-main event, Leon, Bilal. So in the state of the division, Ngannou gone, a guy definitely not in the rankings here, but holding the belt in the division below, Alex Pereira. Could that be the way they go? I think Stipe waits. John Jones needs to get healthy. At some point, that's the heavyweight title fight, I believe. Jones, Stipe. They might both retire after that. They might both retire, and then the interim may just become the main champion. Uh, Cyril Gunn, he could get the title shot, but he's already had two. And I like Cyril, but when Aspinall was proposing the matchup, Cyril was like, nah, brah. He nah. Nah, brah. Fucking so. I think, yeah, Aspinall basically is now doing the same. Like, nah, fuck yeah. And I'm all about that shit. Like, no. If you weren't going to fight me when I was trying to fight toward the belt, now that I'm the champion, motherfucker, like, nah. You can fight someone else. So, Cyril Gunn, I think he, he has to fight someone else. Why not Sergei Pavlovich? Why not? Someone tell me why not, otherwise we're going to move on. Cyril Gunn ranked second. Sergei Pavlovich ranked third. Uh, John Jones... As far as, like, like I think Connor biggest star MMA has ever seen, obviously. But in my opinion, and I say it all the time, I'm not a speculative person. I really don't give a shit, and I'm not that interested in greatest of all time chat. Not just with MMA, with sports, like, Michael Jordan, LeBron. It's like, to me, it's just like, fuck. I just appreciate both. You know, I don't have the time. But... Mixed martial arts hasn't, like, well, mixed martial arts has been around for fucking forever, but uh, UFC is actually pretty recent. Like, it hasn't been around for that long. So it's a bit easier to make a judgment. And there have been so many greats. I remember as a child first getting into it, 
when GSP was at the peak of his powers, Anderson Silver. John Jones, from what I have seen, there's fucking PD chat and there's talk about John Jones, the person. Uh, but just when it comes to fighting, when it comes to UFC, even though I'm not huge on greatest of all time chat, in my opinion, John Jones is my greatest of all time. So, yeah, that's fucking pretty huge, I guess. And he's the heavyweight champ, but he's injured. So again, there are going to be two podcasts a year, uh, a week, all year for Mixed Martial Arts. I'll talk more about John Jones as more becomes available, but he's injured. I think, like I said, John Jones, Stipe, there's a very real chance both guys retire after that, which makes Tom Aspinall hugely relevant. Returned from injury, finished Marcin Taibura, finished Sergei Pavlovich. Like, that was just huge. Aspinall, like, I would love to see Aspinall versus winner of Stipe versus John Jones. But if they don't go there, well, Cyril Garn, he's the guy below. And like I said, nah, fuck yeah. Cyril Garn should have to fight someone else that is not Tom Aspinall for the interim belt. That is where Alex Pereira comes in for me. Uh, I think that is a very real chance. Stipe, ranked fourth. Would he potentially be up for a main event against Aspinall if it was UFC 300? I th- something inside me without really knowing just says Stipe and Jones are going to fight each other. Curtis Blades, ranked fifth. He is scheduled to fight Jailton Almeida. Uh, Almeida was on a tear, huge prospect. Uh, but the fight against Derek Lewis kind of fell flat. And so now he finds himself in a position where he wants a big performance against Curtis Blades, who is the hardest opponent he has fought so far, stylistically. Curtis Blades, much bigger than him. And he'll be very well equip- uh, equipped, making up words now, for the style, the grappling of Jelton Almeida. Uh, so winner of that fight, fuck it. Maybe you go Pereira Aspinall, Stipe waits for Jones, Cyril Gan Sergey. Sorry, Cyril. That makes sense. The numbers, we got the numbers here. You've nabrad Tom Aspinall. He now nabras you. Fucking fight Sergey Pavlovich. Just do it. I guess it's easy to say from my office chair. Like <laughs> someone said to me, like, just fight Sergey Pavlovich. I'd be like, I'm good. At least it'd be quick though. You know, it'd be quick. So, Alexander Volkov is just behind them. He's in a position now. It's like that one last run for him, where he's making that run to get toward that title shot. And he is in great form. Had the big win over Taito Ivasa in Sydney. Finished uh, Alexander Romanov. Alexander Volkov still very relevant. So, to me... Sirogan Sergei uh, of Jailton Curtis. I think winner of that fights Tom Aspinall after probably Pereira. Where does Volkov fit into that? Is he fighting someone? Is he fighting Sergei Spivak, who's ranked close to him? Not sure. But Alexander Volkov is that guy sitting just outside that title picture discussion. But with a win over a big opponent, which he'll be set for in his next fight. 2024-2025, 
this is where Volkov's going for it, just given he's been around for a long time. And he is still, like, now's his time to do it because he's in the best form he's been in a long time. Uh, I broke my glasses last night, so it's kind of hard for me to see. I'm just going to zoom in. Uh, ranked 8th, we have Sergei Spivak. He lost to Cyril Gallen, so he's fallen back a bit. But he's ranked 8th, so yeah, we'll see. Maybe he fights Volkov, not sure. Ninth, Taito Ivasa. Did they announce a fight for him? I think they did, but fuck knows who it is. Sorry. Uh, it might be Marcin Taibura. Might be that. Nine and ten. Taito Ivasa, Marcin Taibura. Don't quote me on it, but I think they might be scheduled to fight. So that's, as far as state of the division, I know I've kind of repeated myself, uh, and I'll go through the final guys in the top 15. But this, from just sitting here and letting my mind run fucking wild, is, and it's all fantasy, like I have no fucking sources telling me any of this shit, but I'm paying enough attention. John Jones injured, waits for Stipe, who's ranked fourth. Tom Aspinall fights Alex Pereira. He fought Sergei Pavlovich already, he beat him. Cyril Gunn, nah, bruh, so fucking Alex Pereira. Fuck yeah. Do you agree? Like, I think fuck yeah. I think a lot of people think fuck yeah. Maybe you don't, but I think fuck yeah. And Cyril Gunn, and just on principle, now I think after having two shots at the belt, he got steamrolled by John Jones. Francis Ngannou totally out-wrestled him. Before Cyril Gunn gets another shot at the belt, I think he needs to face a Curtis Blades, a Stipe Miocic, a Jailton Almeida, who can really present that threat on the ground before he goes up to Tom Aspinall's level because now Tom Aspinall has surpassed him. He's shown that he really has that all-round game whereas Cyril Garn, he looked like the perfect prospect, undefeated, but now there is a hole in his game. Obviously, he can work on that. For me, that means he should fight someone else. The rankings and what just makes fucking sense, Sergei Pavlovich, that's an awesome fight to me. Uh, Stipe waits for Jones. Curtis Blades, Jailton, winner of that, is right in the title picture. Alexander Volkov, uh, he's in the same boat. Sergey, uh, is he facing Volkov? I don't fucking know. And Ty, probably facing Marcin Tybura. Then we move on. Have they got two guys tied 10th and no guy ranked 11th? See, is that a computer, or are they sitting there going, fuck it, two guys ranked 10th, and no, like, what? Derek Lewis, Marcin Taipura. Well, are they fighting each other, maybe? Maybe it's them who are fighting. Fucking hell. Uh, and then we just know 11. Jazenia Rosenstrike. Also, quickly, Derek Lewis, last fight. Domination. Absolutely owned Marcos Rosario de Lima. Jazinho Rosenstrike, he's ranked 12th. I like Rosenstrike. Uh, he's still got a bit of time, so I'm interested to see how he goes. Alexander Romanov. I like Romanov a lot. I like him a lot. I did a post on the Not Just a Sports Report Instagram, uh, and it included Romanov, and he liked it. And I'm pretty sure he's, what, like Moldovan? So he still found the time to like it. Uh, he might have commented or something. And I was like, fuck yeah, big fella. Because I was a big fan. 
Uh, and Alexander Romanov, I put up a poll in that second meeting, the first for the title between Usman and Edwards. And I was like, who does everyone think is going to win? And Alexander Romanov voted. And he voted for Leon Edwards. And then Leon Edwards got that head kick knockout. So I was like, Romanov, you're a Moldovan wizard, my friend. Now, he went through a bit of a rough patch. Couple of losses. He is a big hoss of a fella. Uh, but Alexander Romanov finished him. I mean, he is Alexander Romanov. Alexander Volkov. I actually can't remember who he fought last time. But I think he won. I still have a lot of time for Alexander Romanov. So we will see. Uh, Marcos Rogerio de Lima coming off that loss against fucking uh, Derek Lewis. Blanked. I blanked because I, I want to find out who Taito Avast is facing. Because fucking... I, I know, I'm pretty sure there was like a couple of heavyweight fight announcements. And I just want to have a squiz. Because I can't quite remember. Yeah, so Tai Tuivasa is facing Marcin Taibura. That is in February 298. And I just want to quickly look at who Marcos Rogerio de Lima is fighting. Because I feel like he also already has a fight lined up. I could be wrong. State of the division, everyone. Fucking no notes. Here we go. Yes. Oh. 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 Yes. Yes. On the same card as Tai Tuivasa up against Marcin Tabura, Marcos Rogerio de Lima, ranked 14th, defends his position against a man outside the top 15, a man who I mentioned, Justin Tafa. Fuck. Yes. I guess the call's already been made, hasn't it? I believe Justin Tafa is ready to surge into the top 15. Marcos Rogerio de Lima, though, presents a lot of problems. Trains at American top team, like he will be very well equipped at grappling his biggest strength, but he can throw hands with the best of them as well, except Derek Lewis, who has the most knockouts in heavyweight division history. But Justin Tafa, he is a problem. That excites me. On the same card as Taito Avasa, Marcin Taibura. That excites me. That is right toward the end of the state of the heavyweight division and end of this podcast. But we also have a 15th ranked Rodrigo Nascimento, who is still in the mix. But when I looked at 14 and 15, and even, yeah, just from just outside the top 10, I feel like the Tafa gang. Not just Justin Tafa, I think Junior Tafa, definite one to watch this year. Uh, so State of the Heavyweight Division done everything done for the podcast. Hopefully you've enjoyed it. It's the first time I've tried it. Totally new format uh, where usually, I mean, that's not a fight week, but I would be doing the Apex preview and predictions. And I mean this respectfully, but I thought, I think I can make this better. If maybe I, you know, talk about the McGregor announcement, talk about yada, 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 as I have throughout about an hour and a half of this podcast. But if I throw a bit more of that in and just, you know, if you've got to balance it out, do just a little bit less 
of a Weston Wilson versus Gene Silver focus and things like that, if you catch my drift. So rather than go all in on the cards, let's also talk about the fun stuff. I think today I've had a lot more fun talking uh, about like the heavyweight division, potential matchups, welterweight division popping off, middleweight division. I've had a lot of fun. Hopefully you have. Uh, if you did, at Not Just a Sports Report on Instagram, best way to keep up. Uh, now, given that there's no fight card this weekend, this is going to be the only Not Just a Sports Report combat this week, but it's a fight night next weekend. So next week it's going to be two, uh, and I don't know exactly when they'll be, but one will be in the lead up. I'll be talking MMA news, kind of like today's style, uh, but a bit more of a focus on the fight card coming up at the apex i will also put my picks out there i've had some great days i've had some shit days we all have uh, but i want to start strong especially with this new format so i'll put the picks out there i uh, will go through whatever there is to go through but that is it for the first ever edition of not just a sports report combat i must thank you for listening i uh, appreciate the support as always until the next one have a fucking ripping new year and the fights. <sighs> I wish they were this weekend, but they are ever so close. So soon we will get amongst it, but for now, we must wait. <laughs>